In addition to children of their own, Trinity alumni Janet Craig and her husband, Doug Grossman, have fostered children since 2009. When their 16-year-old daughter brought them to a fundraiser to help stop human trafficking, their eyes were opened to the horrors of human trafficking and how it can intersect with vulnerable foster kids. I'm Nathan Cohn, class of 1995, and this is the Trinity University Learning Together podcast series. Each month, this podcast features faculty, alumni, and other distinguished guests who've established themselves as experts in their fields. It's all part of the university's lifelong learning initiative designed especially for alumni. January is National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention and Awareness Month. Today's podcast conversation is about the independent feature film, Wake Up, written and directed by Janet Craig, who also has a featured role in the film. In the movie, a young teen gets pulled out of the foster care system and into the dark world of sex trafficking, all in sunny suburban America. Here's a scene from the film. Hey, girl. You like the party? Yeah. Yeah? How old are you? Don't lie. Fifteen. What? Fifteen. <laughs> Quick. I need you back by six. Okay. Woo. Nuh-uh. No, you stay away from him. <laughs> Why? Just trust me. Look, I'm not white bread, Grace. He's hot. Nevaeh, I'm not kidding. Aw, oh, you're jealous. Okay, then why are you with him? Just gave me a place to stay or whatever when I aged out of Casa Verde. That's cool. No, it's not cool. No, I owe him. Today, I'll be talking with Janet Craig, class of 1985, and her husband and producer of the film, Doug Grossman, class of 1984. Despite their busy schedule of touring the country from one city to another to screen the film, they've managed some time for this podcast conversation. We'll talk about the film, their journey in the film industry, and you'll also find out how members of the Trinity alumni community can help spread the word about this movie and how to stop sex trafficking. A quick website to note, details about the movie are online at officialwakeupmovie.com, and you can also find the film on Facebook at Official Wake Up Movie and on Twitter, too. wanted to start off by asking, did you know each other at Trinity and how did your personal and professional journey develop together? We did know each other at Trinity. We met in 1982, probably around, I, I know we met at a party, but anyway, kept bumping into each other at places like Bombay's. Met in 82, married in 90, moved to, moved to Los Angeles um, in the late 80s. And so how our professional careers, well, they've been pretty separate until this project. Um, mine's been a career of about 25 years, primarily at movie studios, mm -hmm. um, but not related to creative content like Janet's has. Yeah. Well, when I was at Trinity, I got to play on the tennis team. It was a division one team at the time. And so following my career at Trinity, I went and played tennis for a few years on the tour. And then I was a theater major at Trinity. So came back to my first love of acting, 
moved to Los Angeles to pursue that. And um, Doug and I married and have lived in California the rest of our careers out here. Let's start off by talking about the foster care system itself before we get into the the meat of the uh, plot of the film. You both, according uh, to the film's description online, have fostered several children, and Mike and Kristen Wise, two of your producing partners on the film, have fostered several children as well. What is it that inspires that? Well, we can't speak for the Wises, but the thing that inspires us to do is we really felt like it was a it was it was a divine inspiration. Really, we feel like um, um, we really felt like the Lord was calling us to do it, and so we responded by doing it. And so, one of the foster children is our son now. So we have four adult children, and we have an eleven-year-old son as well. And so, our eleven-year-old came through the foster system. So it is very near and dear to our hearts. And the Wises were close friends, and actually were babysitters for us with our first placements. And uh, we kept telling them, you guys should do this. And we've only fostered a few children and adopted one. And they have fostered over 100 children, our producing partners have. Fostering is, uh, is needless to say, deeply ingrained in the fabric of who we are, both uh, both couples, right? So, As I understand, it's a, a very intense process to be even considered to do something like that. Yes? Well, there's a lot of training involved. When I went through the training, I was surprised at people that were getting certified as foster parents because I felt like one of the things that you want to really make sure is that the people that are fostering are going to be equipped to take care of kids that by nature have been ripped out of their their home, whether their parents died in a car accident and then they were ward of the state or whether or not they've been abandoned or abused or neglected or whatever reason that they're in foster care. These kids may have extra needs and just to make sure that those parents are really well equipped. I think the training is vital. And there's, so yeah, there's yeah. big trauma involved in the kid being in foster, right? It's not, it's not by choice that they're in the foster system. That's for sure. Um, your daughter, as I understand, um, was the one who brought this subject matter of the film, wake up to your attention, um, through y'all's attending. Um, I guess it was, a lecture, a seminar or something about uh, sex trafficking? Is that how that came about? And how did you dovetail that with the foster system? Yeah, well, when our daughter was 16, she she heard from one of our high school teachers that there was an, an organization called Forever Found that was having a fundraiser. Um, and it was their first ever fundraiser for uh, about trafficking. And so she asked if for her birthday, she could go to this fundraiser. So we went and it was the first time we had ever heard anyone who'd been trafficked speak. And this beautiful, articulate young woman got up and told her story. And from that moment on, we knew we had to do something. And I, I had hoped to bring the entire world into that room because I thought if everyone was here, everyone would want to do something. And so this film was inspired by wanting to bring the entire world into that room in some way. And because we're foster parents and because foster youth are the most exploited of, there are over 60% of trafficked youth have been in um, the, the system. They've been in social service system and foster care. So it's really a, became both a foster and trafficking um, film. Really a convergence of the two, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The, the fostering and trafficking, because there there is such a an overlap there. 
When did you first start hearing these horror stories about trafficking within the foster system? Well, it's been a learning process. I but think, I think first was probably that night, right? Well, I didn't know it was in the foster system that first night. I just knew that we had to do something about trafficking that first night because that was about 11 years ago. And mm-hmm. then um, I was in a prayer meeting with some people for foster kids because there was a huge group of us just finding out what God had in store for us and I felt really led to make a movie. And as we started working on the movie for foster youth, I found that those youth were the most exploited and it became a trafficking movie. It started as a foster movie and then even with that idea of trafficking. So I think that's how it sort of happened. I thought it was interesting that in this movie, I won't give away you know, the plot, but there are at least two characters here that are caught in this web and eventually do the right thing in order to help. One of the characters, David, he knows these girls. I was so shocked, though, that he was a part of it, you know, in, in, in watching this. That was really kind of a, a hard thing, as, as if it wasn't hard enough to see these young girls in the, in the movie go through this horrible experience, uh, to see somebody that was, you know, kind of really supposed to be their friend assist in leading them into that. That was really cringe-inducing, you know. Um, can you talk about these, these characters? Now my, my experience is that we are all capable of good and we're all capable of evil. And in my research for this film, what I found was my biggest question is why do we have a multi-billion dollar industry? Why? Who's buying? Because you don't have trafficking unless you have a huge demand. So it's not just these one or two people that are out buying kids. I mean, we have a multi-billion dollar industry. So that question inspired me to look into what was going on in my own community. And so um, these stories are based on true stories, things that we've been exposed to in our personal lives with people struggling with addiction to pornography, with people struggling with, um, I've been mentoring a girl through Forever Found. Um, There's, I've been through trainings with um, people that have been trafficked and have been survivor advocates for training and teaching watching kids on technology at really young ages. So this isn't just a simple movie of good versus evil, but of people capable of both. And what we wanted to show was that trafficking is happening everywhere. It's not just foster youth that are being exploited, although they're at the highest percentage. It's also um, a lot of youth in, in neighborhoods all over America. And people are on, people are, not even knowing their part they're playing in this. And so I just wanted to just open the eyes of the public, wake everybody up to what's going on right in our own backyards. And uh, I, we made it PG 13 ish. It's not rated yet, but we wanted to make it so that anybody could see it so that kids could see it and understand the vulnerability. We wanted parents to understand the vulnerability and we wanted people to be compassionate for everyone, for every human being that, because um, we all struggle, we wanted everybody to be able to have some compassion and see that there is a potential to make the right choice. And we're hoping that people will wake up and want to be protectors instead of predators once they see this movie. And it's interesting too, and Janet, you can probably talk about this more than me because you did more research. But the, what 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 trafficking even looks like is not necessarily like the movie couldn't depict every potential permutation of what trafficking looks like, right? So Janet chose one look of it, but not all not all trafficking victims have been taken, right? In terms of like they may not all be 
kidnap, right? Some are, but not all of them are. So even trafficking, when you say the trafficking is everywhere, it's can be a kid in a local high school who's attending classes, but is still a trafficking victim at that same time because they're they're under the thumb of you know the trafficker, and but yet they're still going home and going to school and things like that. So it's the look of what trafficking victims can be is is there's a variety of what they can look like. Well, we also wanted to make this, there are too many stories to tell. So a film, you can only tell a certain amount and it's a finite. We want to make it into a television show because there are so many stories we didn't get to tell that we think are important to show. And so this is just the launching point for our television series. It sounds like also in watching the picture that a lot of the dialogue in the film may have come from, and you kind of alluded to this a moment ago, may have come from direct interviews with victims of, of sex trafficking. Was that the case? Well, Rachel C. Thomas came on board with the film toward the end. She's now um, part of our film. She's in it at the very end. And she is on the National Trafficking Advisory Board. She's a survivor, educator, presidential appointee. Presidential right? appointee. And she is, there's only nine people that are on that and they're helping. And she uses her life to educate. And she read the dialogue for me and made sure that what I wrote was accurate. And she helped me rewrite um, some of the dialogue to make it exactly what she had heard. And then my co-writer, a man named Dan Haran, um, is ex-LAPD. So I had both the law enforcement side getting actual verbiage. Um, and then while I was also writing it, I had um, people that were on the forefront rescuing, sending me private emails from their rescues, two different men on the same rescue, um, sending me emails about what they were doing on the front line. So we had all sorts of experts in the field reviewing the script, giving input and helping us make it. An actual FBI agent in the, in the movie, helping make sure that the way the, the ending of the movie occurred was accurate the way agents would actually do it. So there's a lot of attention to that kind of detail. We had we had the police department in Santa Paula, we're out here, we're California, in California um, roll out the red carpet for us. They let us use the station for free. The chief let, let us use his office. They let us use the cells. And then one of the officers was on set as much as he could be when he wasn't on, on call. And he let us use, um, they let us use their vehicles. And so I had not just one FBI agent, but a handful of real law enforcement involved in making the film as we were shooting to make sure everything was absolutely accurate. In fact, one of the FBI agents in the movie, a real FBI agent, is another Trinity grad. Yes. Well, we can't, probably can't out her. <laughs> <laughs> but trust us, she was there, not in 84 or 85 when we were, but much, and, much later, but nonetheless. And we met her because I was wearing my Trinity shirt out here in Thousand Oaks and one of my friends, uh, her husband saw it and said, wait a minute. Just walking down the street out here in little old Thousand Oaks, California. So very fun. Very fun. The connections. Wow. Um, well, you know, you talked about the law enforcement there, and I, I just want to say there's there's a scene in there where law enforcement is showing up to, at a place, and um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that you had to g get it right exactly the way that they would do something, uh, because there is that tension as a viewer where you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting, and you're like, "Doggone it! Why don't you get in there?" <laughs> and you know, but uh, but it has to be done a certain way in order for um, you know. Uh, justice to be served just for the right. even attempt of it, you know, is that, that'd be the right. accurate description. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to be very careful of 
is not traumatizing the audience. Uh, we didn't want yeah. to use anything that would be exploitive um, because we're talking about not exploiting people. So we wanted to make sure that every that what people were wearing was not exploitive and also wanted to make the movie so that people wouldn't feel like crawling under a rock after they saw it. I've seen a lot of trafficking movies. I've read a lot of books. I've read everything I can get my hands on and met with every individual I can to make sure that I had en enough knowledge to do justice to this and wanted to make it so that people could watch, but they'd be on the edge of their seat and entertained. Not, I know it's a tough subject, but we tried to make it so it was um, really sort of a thriller to be in your seat, on the edge of your seat. So there was a, an eagerness to see what was going to happen next instead of just wanting to turn the thing off. So it's PG-13, although not officially rated, but it has, it's going to probably land in that because of the heaviness of the content, not because of language, not because of, you know, anything, any nudity or anything uh, explicit by any means, even though you know darn well what bad things are happening, you don't see it. And so we're really cognizant and careful about that. Well, and Janet, you said, um, you know, you don't want to send everybody out with their head hanging low. And in some ways, the appearance of Rachel Thomas at the end really is necessary in order to do that, because you have to see somebody who is uh, come through on the other side. Yeah. Sure hope. And what an inspiration she is. She's an amazing woman. And the fact that she came from the suburbs, that's another opportunity to show here's a very well-educated woman. And on our website, people can click on her information and see if this is another way that people are trafficked, where it's a very well-educated young woman at a college hangout, just like people would hang out at Trinity, go to Bombay's or some other place, and you're hanging out. And some well-dressed guy with a bunch of models on his arms comes and tells her she should be a model. She looks like she could be a model. And then the first gig is legit. She goes and she models and it's legitimate. And then she just fills out a regular form, you know, that you would fill out to get paid. And that gives him all the information. And what you're need. describing is not part of the movie. What you're describing is what happened in her real life. In her real life. Yeah. So I also felt like that was really powerful to have someone where it's another story we can show so that these kids that might be at Trinity that are in a school and think I'm with my friends, they all are going out and it's safe. And then even checking out websites, we just have to be so aware of the fact that there are people out there that we need to be on guard. And I just would like to wake people up to that. And hopefully it'll protect somebody who might have otherwise been exploited. Hello, this is Danny Anderson, president of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Welcome back to the Learning Together podcast from Trinity University. I'm Nathan Cohn, and we're talking about the film Wake Up, directed by Janet Craig and produced by Doug Grossman, a husband and wife team. The film is online at officialwakeupmovie.com. Let's get back to our conversation. What should parents be looking for to help their children? Or are there any sort of signs that, that parents should be looking for that may lead them to suspect something is amiss? One of the ways that traffickers prey on these kids, and that's why foster youth might be vulnerable, is they isolate children. 
and get them to not be as connected to their parents or not as connected to their um, to anybody that that could give them help. So they feel isolated. So if a child is withdrawing or a child is secretive, parents should ha- absolutely have access to their children's, uh, especially young children's phones, iPads, um, computers. Um, it's a safety, not snooping, but definitely have access so that if this child, my, my husband has find your friends on me so he can track me when I'm traveling around the country. If it's a way that someone knows where you are and what's going on with you. A lot of these kids are getting trafficked during the day, during school hours, and then going home and sleeping at home. So watch for behaviors. If they're withdrawn, if they are, they lose joy, if they are secretive about stuff. Um, just, it takes one caring, compassionate adult sometimes to, to help these kids where they know no matter what they've done, they're safe. A lot of kids get caught in the shame of having made the choice. Maybe they went out and they partied and then they participated in activities with, you know, in a way, in a sexual way that they feel ashamed of. And now they can't go to their parents. They can't tell them. So if I think just to let parents know, be open to your kids, allow them to be human and make mistakes and know they have a safe place to come with those mistakes because we all make mistakes. But if they don't feel safe, they think they have to be perfect in their parents' eyes. That's how traffickers will prey on them because they're going to try to. Because the tell shame them. will keep them from going to their parents, and then there they go. Then the traffickers just want the stuff we keep in the darkness is the stuff that festers and causes the harm. It's the same thing with the pornography. If people are hiding that, it just builds the it builds it. If people are hiding in the shadows, and even traffickers, you know, or people who've done things, buyers, you know, it's the shame, it's the it's the hiding that escalates the problems so if we just are more open and and loving toward each other and especially being open to the fact our kids are not going to be perfect ask good questions and take them out and get to know them let them talk you know good let's finally talk about uh the process of this film and its release How, how are you getting the word out about the film you have screenings in certain cities and is there eventually a deal for online placement of streaming of of this picture we're not at liberty to really discuss distribution, but I'll tell you what we did this last month. Okay. We um, decided for National Trafficking Awareness Month that we would take it on the road. So my producing partner, Kristen Wise, has a sprinter van. We decked it out with the, the magnetic billboards on the side of the van, and we went on the road, um, and we chose places where we knew they had great programs on the front lines, panelists that we had chosen beforehand to local be Local organizations. Local organizations. That are fighting trafficking. Or that are in that are law enforcement or um, foster foster organizations, mm-hmm. organizations across the country that are on the front lines doing great work in each of the places we chose. And we also went places where we knew we had people there that were eager for us to bring the film. So we started in um, for National Trafficking Awareness Month just to do this in with that. And we went first to Phoenix, and then we went to Tucson. Um, we went from there to Dallas, and then Atlanta, Nashville. Chicago, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, and then we'll be in San Diego this Saturday. And we have screenings in Redlands, California, then the Trinity One, which is a webcast. And then... Which is on the 26th. On the 26th, which we're excited about. And then we have two, in, one in Thousand Oaks and one in Simi Valley to end the month. We finish on the 30th. And it's all on our website. The tour is there. And what we found is 
we would play the movie and then we have a panel where people are able to plug in with their local community and meet the people on the front lines. Rachel Thomas flew out for a couple of them. Um, just really helpful so that once they see the film, now they can get involved with the frontline organizations to help figuring out what way they might want to get involved. The film's also been entered into one film festival so far, another one coming up. We won, so the Sunscreen Film Festival West, we were in in Hermosa Beach, California, which is where we lived when we first got married. So that was really <laughs> fun for us. Um, and we were great, so grateful for that one. They they awarded us Best Picture and Best Dramatic Actor while we were there, which was awesome. And, and then Janet was nominated for Best Director. And then we were able to go to the Sedona, Arizona Film Festival, which is another wonderful film festival that's taking place at the end of February. It's the 19th through the 27th, and they're screening our film there at 1 o'clock on the 26th of February. All that's building toward, yeah, your, your question about getting it out there more broadly. The idea of the screenings in January um, has been to get to build publicity and build some momentum and to try and find that, you know, it's one thing to make a film, right? Which was quite a Herculean effort on Janet's part. You know, she spent seven years making the film and filmed it during COVID. Um, got it done, got it edited, got it made. And it's, but it's a, it's a whole nother Herculean task to get distribution for the movie. So it, it doesn't happen overnight. And we're, because we're not a major studio, um, we don't have access to theatrical, you know, movie theaters, chains around the country, like a, Disney or, you know, Warner Brothers or another major studio would. So it's a it's a very challenging thing for an independent film to get that kind of widespread distribution. And, you you know, it's it's potential to get on a streaming service. But we also want to make sure because all the profits that we make on the film go to go to these charities that support this cause. We want to make sure that we are as financially wise as we can with whatever deals we make to maximize the profitability of the film for the sake of the charities that are, are going to, um, that are going to get the, get any profits that we make. So, so it's not, so it's, we're just, it takes a little bit more time to get it out there to get a national distribution, get a global distribution for the film, but it's in process right now. And that's, that is one of the reasons for the, the January film tour was to try and, see if we could meet people along the way. Janet could meet people along the way who would help um, with the distribution. And, and that, the, the, Janet's comment about it, we can't comment, because there were, some, there were some opportunities that have arisen as a result of that tour, and we're hoping that it turns into a more widespread distribution opportunity for people to, more people to see it. Well, Doug Grossman and Janet Craig, we wish you good luck on all that. And uh, I want to thank you for spending the time with me and also for making this picture to uh, raise awareness of this issue, which is so important. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks for listening to the Learning Together podcast. I'm Nathan Cohn. Today's episode was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the last Friday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest a topic for a future episode, please email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.